I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. MPB Think and Music Radio are available online and on our MPB public media app. It's simple. Just log on to our website at mpbonline.org to get started. This is MPB Think Radio. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, March 6th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a new criminal justice reform bill is advancing in the state legislature. But could it end up costing the state millions? Learn more. Then a former Methodist minister left the church over its stance on LGBTQ rights. Now he's he's talking to us about the church's stand against a progressive movement. And after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, hear from the latest student to win Mississippi's Poetry Out Loud contest. I feed me in sorrow and laugh in all my pain. Likewise, displeaseth me both life and death. And my delight is causer of this strife. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A bill making its way through the Mississippi legislature could help reduce the state's prison recidivism rate and promote recovery from alcohol and substance abuse. House Bill 1352, the Criminal Justice Reform Act, passed a Senate committee yesterday. But transportation officials say Mississippi could lose millions of federal dollars because of a portion of the bill affecting the suspension of driver's licenses. Mississippi Department of Transportation Attorney Judy Martin told a Senate committee Tuesday, the federal government has a mandatory six-month driver's license suspension because of drug offenses. She said House Bill 1352 could put the state out of compliance, risking the loss of more than $36 million a year in federal transportation money. Republican Senator David Parker of Olive Branch says that concern makes him want a bit more discussion on the bill. He spoke with MPB's Desiree Frazier. In committee today, we learned and we heard that Uh, federal compliance will be at issue. And and one thing in particular is that if you non-adjudicate an offense for someone holding a CDL license um, when they're not driving and using their CDL, say they're in their regular vehicle, um, that's not in compliance with what the federal law requires. And as it was mentioned in the committee, the license follows the way it's licensed and not the vehicle you're in. So there are millions of dollars that our state would miss out on if we do not follow this you know, federal guideline correctly. And years ago, when we passed some DUI reform that I maybe spoke to you about, 
we had to come back and make some changes on that over time because we, we made changes and we didn't think it out the, the way that we should. And so that's one of my main concerns on it. Uh, but also, you know, I think that, you know, sometimes, you know, and I certainly when people are not a violent offender, you know, I understand the reasoning to try to make the system, you know, be more receptive or help them out. You know, but when people are repeat offenders for situations like DUI, I've also seen the personal impact of that on families. And that personal impact is something that changes you forever. And so when I see a bill that is looking to change DUI law and in a way that could impact families that become a victim of a crash, um, I'm going to do everything I can to try to bring awareness to that. And you said uh, DUI would be considered a nonviolent offense? Well, that's the, the problem in this is you're looking at, okay, what is, you know, misdemeanor? And, and, you know, we changed a few years ago. We increased the levels of DUIs. We have a, a first offense, a second offense, a third, and a fourth offense. The third and fourth offenses are, are felonies. And I'm not an attorney. I'm an eye doctor, but I've spent a lot of time working on DUI law. And my fear is that over time, you might be forgiving a few of the initial offenses, and then in turn, that person who has repeat offenses might not be guilty of a felony further down the line because we've kind of non-adjudicated or forgiven those that have happened over time. And I feel strongly that, you know, when, when I'm out on the road traveling, I want my family to be as protected as they can. I, I don't want other people's liberties to be taken away from them. But when someone chooses to do something that can affect my family, you know, such as a crash or that kind of thing, I think we should be strong on crimes that, uh, that have that repeat offender status. Senator David Parker, Democratic Senator Juan Barnett of Heidelberg, says the measure will give nonviolent offenders a second chance. He tells our Desiree Fraser he's willing to compromise on anything that keeps the bill from passing. If it passes, you know what they said, there was two things that were said. We could we could do this and not take a recommendation from the governor. So so there's ways that we can still make some of these things happen without it jeopardizing federal law. So and, and I, you know. I agree with what they said, and I appreciate them coming and sharing that with us. It gives us an opportunity to build around that so that we can make sure that what's done, what is done does not violate uh, federal law. And, you know, I think that it's very important for even those proponents to understand that, you know, to kill such a bill as this over one particular issue and not be able to help thousands upon thousands of Mississippi is just is unfair those individuals. Can you explain what federal dollars would be at stake? Uh, the federal dollars that they were talking about will be like um, uh, transportation dollars, highway dollars, and those type of things. But but we're not, this bill here, and I'm not in the, uh, here to, to jeopardize any of those federal dollars that the state of Mississippi may get. We all, you know, those of us who have been around this environment for a while understand that, you know, we ask for a lot of things. Some we get, some we don't. This may be one of the things that we don't get when we talk about the commercial driver's license piece and those things. But, but we're not going to kill the rest of the bill because we didn't get those things out of it. So are you saying you'd be willing to take that piece out, whatever it is that would make it out of compliance? Yes, ma'am, most definitely. I, I wouldn't want to put the state in any type of, of danger of losing any type of federal dollars in any way and to remove just that one piece so that the rest of this... Uh, bill can be signed into law. Um, uh, 
I, I don't have a problem with that. It also talked about um, DUIs and drug offenses that might slip through the cracks. Yes, ma'am. I, I understand that as well. And, you know, we have to realize, too, regardless of what bill we file, whether it was filed 10 years ago, 5 years ago, or even last year, none of it is perfect. And there's going to always be those individuals who, are look, who, have, who will look to, to find a way to make something bad out of something that was intended for our good. I mean, it's evident in everything that we do. And I've said it many times before, you know, you can take the most, the most bought and sold book uh, in this country, which is what we call the Bible, some on Sunday morning to take it and do all the good in the world with it. But there are some that will take it and do evil things with it. So I'm asking us not to punish those people who would take this legislation and do the right thing and would do the and do good by by those who would try to seek uh, ill gain out of this bill. This is not what this bill is intended for. It's not intended for violent offenders. It is intended for nonviolent offenders, for people who made some, some small mistakes in life who need a second chance on life. That's, a, that's what this bill is about. Senator Juan Barnett. The bill now awaits action on the Senate floor. Another proponent of criminal justice reform is this year's Miss Mississippi, Asia Branch. She tells our Desiree Frazier how the issue came to be very personal for her. The injustices. There's so many of them and things are not done fairly. There's sentencing issues. I don't believe that small crimes, you should sentence a person for 12 years or 20 years or life for something that's minor when we have people out here committing harsh, violent crimes crimes each and every day and they're getting out before those with a minor drug crime doesn't make any sense so I think that we should be sentencing fairly and actually working to solve these issues if someone has a drug addiction problem putting them behind bars isn't going to help it send them to rehab stop filling our prisons with people that don't deserve to be there and actually fix the issues so that these people can live a productive life what was the circumstances that led your father to be incarcerated my father was sentenced to 12 plus years um for an armed robbery that he was never at the scene at. Witnesses say he was never there, um, and they have lack of evidence, so I don't know how you sentence someone for a crime that you can't even place him at. And you said that you have been talking to people about this issue, that you've met with the governor, and that you have met with President Trump about this issue. What did you get from them that, uh, what is their response? I believe they want to see people released from prison and living a productive life and actually um, contributing to society in a positive way. But the only way they can do that is if they're able to get out and actually start living a life. But there are so many um, restrictions. You know, it's hard to obtain a job if you've got felony on your record. And so I think the biggest thing is going to be to work on expungements and different things that can help them in pursuing a positive life once they're released. What do you want to come out of today? when you go in to lobby legislators? I hope that they'll see how important this is and how much it affects others and how we can actually work to improve these situations and actually have fair sentencing and um, better conditions for our inmates and um, help them once they're released. Miss Mississippi Asia Branch with MPB's Desiree Frazier. Coming up, a former Methodist minister left the church over its stance on LGBTQ rights. Now he's talking to us about the church's stand against a progressive movement. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
Have you been in this situation? You're listening to a great story on Think Radio in your vehicle, but now it's time to go inside. You want to keep listening, but you're ready to move on. What can you do? Pull up the MPB Public Media app on your phone while you're in the car. You can continue listening to that great MPB local show and not miss a moment. Search for the MPB Public Media app in your app store. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The United Methodist Church is sending a message to the more progressive-leaning portion of its international body. Leave tradition alone. In a closely watched vote, the church adopted a policy that calls for stricter enforcement against ordaining LGBT pastors and sanctifying same-sex marriages. Rob Hill was a United Methodist minister for more than a decade, until he left the church when he came out as a gay man. Hill now leads the Mississippi chapter of the Human Rights Campaign. He talks to us about his journey and his struggle with his former church. I served for 12 years as a United Methodist pastor here in Mississippi. Three years I was assigned to two churches down around Utica, Mississippi. And then in 2005 I was assigned to come to Jackson and serve at Broadmeadow United Methodist Church where I served for, for nine years as a United Methodist clergy person. Are you still a United Methodist? I'm not a United Methodist. I'm kind of really nothing right now. I'm a person of faith and I worship uh, on most Sundays in a, in a congregation here in, the, in Jackson. Uh, but I'm not a United Methodist technically. Is the reason... You left the church and are not a practicing United Methodist because you're gay? Yeah, that was the sole reason it's why I left simple. the church. Absolutely. You know, I, I served as a, you know, under the policy of the United Methodist Church, I, I served in a closeted capacity, although um, my partner tells me it was the worst kept secret, especially when I uh, quoted Janet Jackson in a sermon. He said, you came out every time you did that. And, you know, and I was able to tell plenty of people in the congregation and uh, and I had great relationships with many many people in the congregation and certainly many clergy who were completely accepting. Were there members of your congregation that were put off by it, that, that came to you and said, we don't approve of this? You know, if I, if they were, they never told me. You know, so I kind of figured that, I kind of considered that a victory. I, I tell people that, you know, I want to write a book sometime about how I was able to, to live, you know, fairly openly as a gay man. It, it, again, never saying it from the pulpit never saying it officially or putting it in print, um, but m- moving around Jackson with my partner, uh, e- even, you know, having close relationships within the congregation. Uh, but I think that, you know, one of the things was that looking back, I was an effective pastor. And, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that to brag. I, I enjoyed it. And I, and I really tried to do a good job. And I think the people who who didn't understand it or maybe didn't approve loved me enough that they forgave what they didn't approve. Did you feel like the vote of the general conference would go the way it went? I felt like it would do that. Yeah, I was not. I was not surprised uh, about what how it, how the vote uh, uh, came down because the church, the United Methodist Church, is a global church. Uh, when you know the Episcopal Church uh, votes on things like this or have in the past, it's they're they're strictly uh, uh, it's strictly relegated to the United States of America. Uh, the United Methodist Church is global, and whereas we may be more. Progressive, 
progressive in a lot of parts of the United States, especially around our issues. Um, there are other parts of the world, particularly, uh, I think, in the continent of Africa, where they haven't moved as far um, on, on issues of human sexuality, at least the kind of acceptance that we've, that we've seen in, in many parts of the United States. And so, so they're all included in that vote. But I also want to point out that it was you know, fairly close. I mean, it was you know, almost 50 percent of, of, that, of that representative body there in St. Louis that, that, that wanted to give churches more autonomy and, and, and change the way the church operates around these issues. The new plan that had been proposed basically would have left the issue of same-sex marriage and ordination to local churches, individual districts. How do you personally feel when that plan was rejected? You know, I have to acknowledge my own woundedness around this. You know, I, I was not kicked out of the church. I chose to, to leave the church because the, I, I can no longer live authentically who, who, who I was. I, it felt to me duplicitous to be gay and also live in a system where I couldn't be fully authentic. And so, you know, when that vote happened, it sort of it, it reinforced that that those those feelings, those negative feelings that I had that I had experienced when I finally came to terms with the fact that I could no longer live in that system. There are members of the church. I'm sure there are many members of the church around the world who will say, "I don't have a problem with uh, the community, the LGBTQ community, but it's a sin." The Bible says yeah. it's a sin. Theologically speaking, how do you address that? Yeah. Well, I want to acknowledge that there are a lot of people who who voted the way they did or supported people who voted the way they did to um, to uh, enact this traditional plan who, who aren't bad people and they're not evil and they don't hate LGBTQ people. They just simply have a different theological understanding around this. I, I would argue that there is, there is excellent scholarship um, that could offer another perspective, another theological perspective around this. You know, I think around issues of marriage, for instance, the, the Bible, and, and this gets into my theological training and um, biblical understanding, the Bible really doesn't have any understanding of any kind of, whether it's male or male and female or same sex, of a mutual uh, relationship. So much is it around, so much of relationships and marriages are around, you know, are around power and ownership. And so, you know, so, you know, you have to really take a lot of those passages that, that people use very often to clobber the LGBTQ community as uh, in the context in which they are written and not just simply say, this is what the Bible says and this is what I believe uh, around that. But yeah, I, I think that this is where we can really have a lot of uh, fruitful conversation with people from different perspectives. And, and I think that that's what's coming out of this. I see that. I see a lot of people, um, their reaction to this is, has been you know, one of grief. But also I think that there is a willingness to say, you know, for a lot of people, let's sit down and and talk because what's going on right now is not working. Do you think this creates a schism in the United Methodist Church and that people will leave the church in significant numbers? Well, I'm obviously, you know, somebody who was in exile, uh, you could say, from the United Methodist Church because I chose not to live in that system uh, as a as a gay, openly gay man. Um, you know, my prediction at the at, well, I will say, yeah, and I think there will be a lot. Of, there are people like me who will seek uh, refuge in a congregation that's more accepting, uh, but a lot of people are going to stay. And my prediction at the end of the day is that um, the ones who are the the hardline conservatives around this issue, um, they'll likely be the ones that eventually um, separate. Rob Hill is a former pastor of Broadmeadow United Methodist Church in Mississippi and executive director of the Human Rights Campaign Mississippi. Thank you so much, Rob. Thank you, Karen.
We reached out to the Mississippi United Methodist Organization. We'll share their response when we're able to contact them. Coming up, hear from the latest student to win Mississippi's Poetry Out Loud contest. That's after a Southern Remedy Health Minute. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Jeremy Hobson. The second city in Chicago calls itself the world's premier school of improvisation. And after nearly six decades in business, it's still a mecca for aspiring comics. It's so much fun. I I am truly bitten by the bug. Like I'm lit up about being here more than I've ever been lit up about anything in my entire life. That's next time on Here and Now. Today at noon on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of pediatrics and internal medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Good morning, Ray. Thanks for calling. I'm losing hair right in the front. And my concern is it, it's just real bad. There are a couple of things that might be happening. So normal male pattern baldness, you know, and it, it's one of those things that most males have at least some hair loss as they get older. It's due to the hormone changes in those little hair follicles. So all of our heads have these little hair follicles on them, and they grow mm-hmm. they grow hair, but they also have some glands that are around them and in the in the follicle shaft too that help. Uh, secrete certain chemicals to keep the skin soft and supple and, uh, you know, have some oils on the skin. So as those hair follicles stop producing that hair, your scalp can become drier. I would recommend in those areas to use a sunblock because most of the time it is it's going to protect you against skin cancer, reduce your risk of that, but it also can help keep that that scalp, uh, that area of your skin uh, from getting too dried out. One other condition, if you have a decreased energy level, if you're maybe gaining some weight, some other uh, symptoms of hair loss, particularly of your eyebrows, uh, the, the latter third of your eyebrows, that, that may be a symptom of your thyroid not working appropriately. But most of the time, just a little bit of that dry scalp. It's probably just from that uh, male pattern baldness. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy on the go with the MyBlue mobile app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. More information at bcbsms.com. It's good to be blue. Donating your change to MPB just got better. Visit mpbonline.org slash support. Change donors are now change sustainers with instant benefits like passport streaming video and home delivery of our fine-tuning program. If you'd like to give a set amount every day, now you can. Donations are charged directly to your card, which means you can earn points and a tax deduction. Visit mpbonline.org slash support and become an MPB change sustainer today. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. And now, the 2019 Mississippi Poetry Out Loud state champion is Taylor Mills. That's MPB's Michelle McAdoo announcing the winner of this year's Mississippi Poetry Out Loud. Before we leave you, we thought you'd like to hear Taylor Mills recite her winning poem. I Find No Peace by Sir Thomas Wyatt. I find no peace, and all my war is done. I fear and hope. I burn and freeze like ice. 
I fly above the wind, yet can I not arise? And not I have, and all the world I season, that loseth nor locketh, holdeth me in prison, and holdeth me not, yet can I scape no wise, nor letteth me live, nor die at my device, and yet of death it giveth me occasion. Without eyne I see, and without tongue I plain. I desire to perish, and yet I ask health. I love another, and thus I hate myself. I feed me in sorrow, and laugh in all my pain. Likewise displeaseth me both life and death. And my delight is causer of this strife. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Fix It 101. Then at 10, it's Everyday Tech. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online by visiting mpbonline.org. You can also download the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. Or you can subscribe to Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio.